Good morning, sports fans. Fill up that coffee cup and that bowl. Sit back and relax. Because live from Colorado, it's time for the Sports Offensive. Hey, good morning out there, sports fans, and welcome to the Sports Offensive. It is a frosty winter wonderland morning out here. And uh, hopefully that if it's freezing out where you are, that you're inside with a nice hot cup of coffee of Joe or cup of Joe and uh, ready for a little bit of sport entertainment. I do have both of my co-hosts here on remote. I do want to make sure everyone can hear us. Uh, JP, are you uh, live and in charge? Yeah, I'm right here, Mark. I can hear you loud and clear. Absolutely wonderful. How about you, Nate Dog? How are things down in the Mississippi area? Five live guys. So <laughs> great. Crazy morning, huh? With all this weather, and uh, yeah, I'm, I'm glad I didn't have to drive in it this morning. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know what? That's uh, that was my first thought when the snow really started to fall last night on the way home from the bar, and you saw the roads were already starting to get packed. And I thought, well, knowing the way the plows work around here, if they didn't get started early, uh, it could lead to a very treacherous day and a lot of snowpack and ice after a uh, 10 degree uh, morning. So, uh, and what I do apologize. <laughs> well, there was a slight delay uh, on my starting the music and trying to listen to everything. I couldn't hear anything going on. And then all of a sudden, the intro music started like after like like 30 seconds. All of a sudden, I could hear the intro music starting. So um, I don't know if the internet connection is weak up here with the weather or what's going on. I can tell that uh, Betty seems like she's in a good mood. I can hear her uh, croaking in the background there. <laughs> what, what's going on over there? Are you mutilating the poor thing? Well, no. They, we have the contractors are coming in the house probably. Oh, right, right. Oh, yeah, nothing better uh, than an icy, cold morning uh, for your bathroom window than having the back room completely uh, de-roofed, right? It's all enclosed, dude. Oh, you got it closed. Okay. I just uh, I hadn't seen a picture. Yeah, yeah. They started. Yeah, they so. got it enclosed uh, Thursday, so uh, it's it looks good. Oh, well, good good, good timing then. They uh, they beat the storm mm-hmm. just by well, everyone out there, uh, just so you can kind of get an idea of what we're going to be going over today, obviously we're going to be checking out the uh, the uh, massive breaking allegations that have been filed against a certain member of the NFL. Uh, we got Manny Machado finally signing somewhere. We could see the free agent dominoes fall. We are going to cover the top two, uh, top ten second baseman in fantasy baseball. And if we have a little bit of time, I wouldn't mind uh, delving into the NBA and uh, the second half antics that are coming your way. But let's go ahead and jump into the big topic. I mean, me so horny, me so horny, me love you long time. Kraft macaroni and cheese is dropping hoes like dominoes and watching them fall. Kraft is caught soliciting prostitution. I just want to hear your initial thoughts. JP, what do you think? Boy, I tell you what, this story kind of came out of nowhere, and it was absolutely shocking to actually hear Robert Kraft be one of 25 people alleged in this human trafficking slash prostitution stand. Nate, what were your feelings when you first heard this story break? I wasn't surprised at all, to be honest. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, you know, it just men are lonely at that age, I guess. I don't know what, what the deal is, but I don't think it's a good thing. You know, it's terrible. Um, human trafficking is, you know, one of the, big problems with this world right now. So I'm just really disappointed in uh, Mr. Kraft and his bad decision-making, but uh, 
You know, well, it'll be. I think what's going to be real interesting is that there's supposed to be a couple names on that list that might be bigger than his. So uh, that'll be interesting to see what kind of comes out in the next week or so. Yeah, it'd be very interesting to see if there are actually bigger names than a 6.6 billion net worth NFL owner that uh, you know is the guy that signs the paychecks for world's greatest American, Tom Brady. I gotta say, it's it, it was a shock uh, to say the least because. Uh, the reasons that it was a shock to me are not that I'm shocked that he was doing something like this. Um, he's a man and he's a rich man and he's a rich white man. And if you think that rich white men aren't, aren't constantly having uh, dalliances with lots of different women, you're deluding yourself. That's the whole me too movement. Ooh, good been- word. <laughs> Which one was that? Dalliances. Oh, well, you know, uh, here's the first thing that did surprise me is the guy is dating like a 29-year-old actress or 30-year-old actress, and she's very attractive. Not my type, but, I mean, she's a gorgeous woman. And he, uh, you know, that he was doing a massage parlor visit was what surprised me. With that kind of money, you would think you would just be having women brought to your room, and he stays at Mar-a-Lago, so you know there's not going to be any press allowed or any, um, you know, uh, discretionary topics let out i mean that's like it's like a kind of like a airtight uh ziploc bag in terms of the uh you know unmentionables that go on in that area so why do you think that he chose to go to a spa a seedy uh, location as opposed to having entertainment brought to his room i mean jp what would be the cause for that well i think there's a lot of risk versus reward there where you know you're pushing the limit being a man of that kind of power you might be pushing the limit just to get get your jollies i guess um you know there's it's it's weird that he would go to a massage parlor when he could just have women brought to his room but you know maybe he wanted the thrill of going to the massage parlor you know i think that's a great point i did hear they i did hear they offer table showers well, I'm pretty sure most massage parlors offer table showers, but I, I think oh. a big reason I went there was because of the joy, or not the joy, but uh, there is something to be said for slumming, right? I mean, if you're a wealthy person, that there is no more uh, like hill to climb in terms of getting gorgeous women. Maybe after you've had 10,000 gorgeous women brought to your room, maybe it gets boring. Maybe that gets old. I mean, we look at Tiger Woods, who maybe he's a uh, one of the people on this list, he does live in that area. Uh, but it's, you know, Tiger Woods was going slumming with very unattractive women from Denny's restaurants and things like that because he'd spent his whole life with supermodels. And, you know, it, it's yeah. what you what you haven't had that usually is alluring. So do you think that was part of the uh, the, the draw? I, I think that could be it. I think it could be a number of things. I think when you get to be that wealthy and powerful, that you also become pretty arrogant and that you think, oh, I'll never get caught. And if I do, it's not going to be a big deal because I can just pay my way out of it. So, you know, I think it's, uh, um, you know, he's just incredibly neurotic, I would imagine, <laughs> you know, and, and just thinks that he's never going to get caught. That would be one thing for me. And then your reason is good. The other one would be, and this is kind of probably gross for some people, but it could be that, Maybe there's a girl there that'll do something for him that no other girl will. <laughs> you know what? That's an excellent point. I mean, maybe he likes the the tuma. Maybe he likes uh, the felching. Maybe he uh, maybe he likes any a number of unmentionable type of activities. Because 
as we were kind of saying with the with the getting bored with hot women, getting bored with normal sex, right? I mean, he just he might just be to that point where it's like it's got to be dirty, it's got to be down and 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 you know evil whatnot uh, to make it alluring. Now, I do think it's a little, I don't not scandalous, uh, uh, unfortunate maybe that the newspapers and headlines, because they know most Americans don't actually read the articles and don't actually get facts. They just read the headlines and go from there. And the headlines that I saw everywhere were Robert Kraft involved or arrested for this prostitution slash human trafficking thing. And let's not be silly. He didn't have anything to do with the human trafficking part. He went to a massage parlor. Now, the massage parlor very well could have been trafficking women in, and that is something that should be investigated and prosecuted. But to try to assimilate him with that part of the whole fiasco really, to me, is, is classless and, and shows our clickbait nature. Because, again, he didn't bring these women over. He didn't pay to have them brought. If he did, they'd have been coming to his room, or he'd have been going over to Thailand, as opposed to going to some random massage parlor. And from what I read, there was at least like five or six massage parlors in the area of Juniper that were part of this investigation in human trafficking. So, uh, you know, I, I think that that is something that needs to be pointed out, that you may not like him for soliciting a prostitute. You may not like him for cheating on his woman. You may not like him for paying for it, whatever your, your problems with it might be. Uh, we shouldn't confuse the fact that he himself had nothing to do with the trafficking of these women. Do you guys agree with that? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I agree with that. I think that's a huge problem these days. I mean, <laughs> the press has kind of gotten a little bit out of control, I feel like, with, with a lot of stuff. And, uh, yeah, you know, that's something that you put it in the headlines, all of a sudden everybody thinks he's the one that's been trafficking them. You know, and, uh, boy, that's a big difference than just, you know, I'm not saying being a John is a minor thing in a situation like this, but compared to the people that are actually bringing these poor women, you know, to a country where they have no choice to do what they're doing, you know, only to do what they are doing. So, you right. know, that's an unfortunate part. And to associate him with that is irresponsible. Uh, you well, know, he, I just don't understand that. He purchased, you know, the he purchased some entertainment, some satisfaction on the what they call the world's oldest profession, right? Because this has been going on since before time was time. Now, there's a definite difference between, let's say, high-priced uh, escort who is doing this of her own volition and making a lot of money and has future plans for that money in terms of business enterprises or uh, early retirement, what have you, and a woman who's being pimped, which is essentially what's going on here. If the woman is being trafficked, she's being pimped. It's not necessarily the the the, the streetwalker pimp that you might be thinking of in your mind with the fedora and the big uh, Technicolor dream coat, you know, Kramer outfit, but they are being pimped. And, uh, you know, I, 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 I think it's just interesting that his name was made public on this because you would think there would be some discretion, like you were talking about with all the money. But I guess it does sort of show you that there, there are certain things that you're, you're never going to get away with completely. But we should mention yeah. it is a misdemeanor that he is charged with. Now, again, you can have your own personal feelings on what he did and how bad you think of an action you think it was. But it is a misdemeanor, and a misdemeanor is, a, is not a very serious charge. I mean, there's a reason that I mean, there's a big difference between a felony and a misdemeanor. And this is actually the first time I've actually seen in a long time the Johns actually get 
uh, in trouble in the massage parlor because usually the Johns are the people that are used by the cops to bust the massage parlor. So uh, it's kind of a kind of an interesting uh, uh, twist on how it normally goes. But the the big question this now raises is if a player was caught doing this, we can we can fathom what the punishments would be. So now we got to ask ourselves because owners are supposed to be held. Are all uh, all NFL executives are supposed to be held to the same morality clause that the players are, and expected to be even a little bit higher on the uh, on the discretionary uh, um, you know uh, behavior than the players. So, JP, in your opinion, what would be a proper punishment for Kraft? Boy, that's a that's a really good question. We're hitting some territory here that we've really never seen because, I mean, Robert Kraft is the preeminent. A lot of people say the best owner in the NFL and one of the best owners in sports um, where the NFL, and this is going to be interesting to see what Roger Goodell um, comes up with to actually punish Mr. Kraft with this because there is an image problem and the NFL does, you know, punish their players accordingly. So, I mean, we're kind of in uncharted territory here. With with basically what what what's what's going what's what's going down. So, and Nate, you know they uh, the the Patriots were given two compensatory third round draft picks just this week uh, for the upcoming NFL draft. Do you think one or both of those are more draft picks or possibly on the chopping block? I, I'm sorry, Mark, I missed the question. Repeat that, will you? Oh, sure. Uh, so the Patriots were given two compensatory picks in the third round earlier this week. Uh, I don't know if it's a compensate for free agents or, or what, what, that was, what was the reason for that. Both they and the Rams received additional picks. And my question is, do you think those picks or even more picks for the Patriots could be on the chopping block as part of the punishment? Absolutely. Um, I think they're going to have to get creative here because this is kind of unprecedented. Um, you know, I think the last time we saw an owner get in trouble in in, in the NFL was uh, was Richardson for Carolina, right, with the racist comments. Mm-hmm. I don't and, remember what uh, his... you know. Well, they forced him to sell the team. Oh, I forgot about yeah, that. Yeah, that was Jerry Richardson, uh, yeah, they forced – or he was basically forced out. I, You know, I don't know exactly what the exact specifications were, but uh, he pretty much was told, you got to sell the team. Um, and then, you know, the other situations I can think of were uh, Ursay in Indianapolis with his, you know, his Oxycontin and drugs and uh, driving around and all of that. And, you know, I think he got like a six – was it a six game suspension and maybe like a half million dollar fine? And I think they may have lost a draft pick or something. Um, and then, uh, you know, I, th- I think of some other racist things, you know, like Donald Sterling from the NBA, Mark Schott from baseball, um, you know, those types of things that are kind of relatable, you know, but not necessarily on the same level. I, you know, it's hard to say what's worse, you know, um, and where do you draw the line? Is this a point where you, you do make Mr. Kraft sell the team? You know, and I, I think it's going to be really interesting to see what he does with this because a lot of times if you punish the owner, you punish the team, and that trickles down quite a bit. You know, if you're a, dra- if you're a you know, a borderline first-round pick, 
uh, and all of a sudden there's one less draft pick in the first round, does that affect your pay? You know, I, you know, I'm not sure what the difference is between the 32nd pick and the 33rd pick in the draft, you know, if, if there is any difference, um, you know, going from that 32nd pick in the first round to the first pick in the second round. So <laughs> I think there's a lot of options here that, that could play out. Um, if I had to make a kind of a prediction or guess on it, I would say that he'll probably be suspended for the season. Um, you know, no, no playoffs, nothing like that. I don't think he's going to be able to be involved really with the team. He's going to have to have somebody else kind of run it. And uh, I think they will lose a draft pick. I think he'll get fined. And uh, I don't know. You know, we'll see what happens. I guess that's kind of my thoughts. I would be a little surprised to see him, like, suspended in terms of most of the season only because of, like JP says, he's pretty much the most beloved owner in the NFL. Unbelievable success with the Patriots, of course, and Darth uh, uh, Bilicek there, and then again, world's greatest American, Tom Brady. Winning Super Bowl, Super Bowl. Yeah, let me interject for just a second because I, I agree with that. It, it is hard to maybe fathom that something like that that could happen, but I also think this is a chance for Goodell to set a precedent for something like this, and you know, not just a slap on the wrist. I think would be the right way to go about it and be like, you know what. This guy is hold, held to the highest standard because he is, you know, he is part of the most successful team ever and has always, you know, seemed to be a good guy and all of that. And so I think Goodell's going to come down hard on him. You know, it, it, it's, uh, it's really hard to say, and it'll be very interesting to see how they go about it. Number one, I'm sure they're going to, as they did with Ezekiel Elliott, as they do with everyone else for the domestic uh, violence and things like that, they're going to probably wait until the uh, criminal charges are over. And so then you have two things that come out. First of all, he has categorically denied being involved. Now, rumor is that they've got him on tape uh, soliciting and receiving sex acts. How they got him on tape receiving sex acts, I don't quite understand because that seems like that would violate a number of laws. But uh, maybe the massage parlor had, um, you know, kind of pinhole cameras in the ceiling or the wall or something to uh, you know, keep clients under wraps or something. I just read uh, the article right before, right before we got on uh, the air this morning, and they said that there was undercover policemen or police people had gone in and set up surveillance cameras inside the parlor. Now, I, again, I don't know how that works. You know, if they <laughs> if they did that legally or not, I suppose that'll come into play, but. That's what I read this morning. Yeah, I mean, that's a really that that gets really dicey that if they have actually installed cameras and therefore could have video footage of actual sex acts going on. And I I, obviously this has happened before, but that gets into kind of a gray area where you're like, hey, even if they got a warrant, you know, from the government or from a court, is it okay to be recording something that intimate or that personal? Uh, you know, that's when you start to get to that point where you start to worry about, you know, how many of your freedoms are really being curtailed. Now, as far as Kraft goes, again, I think that, number one, he has been instrumental in keeping Goodell and getting Goodell his high pay. So it would be hard for Goodell to come down super hard on him. 
Second of all, I think when you look at the times we have come down hard on people, it's on the people the NFL doesn't like. The NFL is a club. It's a cartel of, of individual businesses that work in conjunction on a lot of things. And when they have an owner they don't like, especially one that's either been uh, bequeathed the team through uh, in- inheritance or bought the team you know, back in the 80s before things got really tight. I mean, we all remember when the, the Bartolos owned the 49ers, right? And they were extremely successful. And I don't exactly remember. I was pretty young, but they pretty much got exposed to being in some pretty shady stuff. And uh, I don't know if it was mob contacts or if it was construction or what it was, they were. They did some – the Bartolo was doing something that wasn't kosher. And instead of, like, forcing a sale of his team – they forced control to someone else, kind of like the way when Bud Selig became commissioner of baseball, they forced him to give ownership control of the team to his daughter. Now, we can all pretend that that was like, you know, some sort of a wall between this owner and their team. Uh, we all know better. I mean, of course, Selig was still making well, the calls on those teams. It's just like Seth tried to separate Trump from his business deals. Right. That's why you usually put them in a blind trust, because then it's physically impossible for you to be involved. So I'm sure that these teams and these owners are still you know, intimately involved with their teams. And if they say Kraft is suspended for six, seven, eight games, something like that, um, first of all, it doesn't really matter in the regular season as an owner. You're not doing you know, you're not changing the team uh, as an owner in the middle of the season. The GM is doing that and the coach is doing that. So unless you're Jerry Jones and you, you know, you're screwing up your team all the time. So. I, you know, I, I don't really think that because, because they love him, because he's been good for the NFL, because he's helped make them a juggernaut in American business, I don't see him getting a severe punishment. Now, it would be a severe punishment for me or for you guys, right? If someone said, we're going to charge you $3 million and you're going to lose two draft picks. Well, yeah, $3 million is a lot of money to you and me. I mean, we'd never pay that off. When you got $6.6 billion and you own the most profitable NFL franchise, you raise beer prices by, you know, 45 cents. You're going to cover that in a couple of weeks. So it's not like that's going to really hurt him. I do agree with you, Nate, on the draft picks. You lose some of those. You're hurting players coming out of college. Now, you're probably only hurting some low-end players because, you know, a guy that's going to get drafted 32nd uh, in the first round now is going to get drafted in the first five picks of the second round. I mean, Rarely are they you're, you're also hurting the you're also hurting the team. You know, well, all of a sudden there's a player there that could have been there that's not there. Right, and I mean, I I think that's part of the part of the point of it is to say we're going to punish your team so that you know that you can't behave this way, and uh, that's not really fair is to that the player. Fair? Yeah. No, but what does that have to do with anything? I mean, if you work for a business and the uh, executives at the top are involved in something shady and that like accounting practices, the company gets found out, the company crumbles. Yeah. You were Enron, you lost all your retirement. You didn't do anything wrong. I mean, if you were a salesperson, True. you did do something wrong. But if you were, if you were just a person like, you know, worked in like the field or something for Enron or worked on cable lines out in a neighborhood, you didn't have anything to do with any of that stuff. You weren't with the salespeople that were telling right. the plants to to stop making power. You weren't the executives, you know, passing, you know, forcing legislation to get passed to allow you to deregulate and to use, you know, re, uh, you know, um, forward accounting, you know, you didn't do any of that. So, you know, you're punishing the team to get back at the owner, but you're punishing players who really didn't have anything to do with this. Now that's assuming we don't find out that they, uh, that the players were, you know, with him down in Mar-a-Lago, 
going to the massage parlor, but I haven't heard any insinuations of that. And it's probably pretty safe to assume that, that Brady isn't out getting um, supplemental enjoyment with his supermodel wife at home, right? Very interesting issue. Any uh, speculation from either one of you on who else might be on that list of the potential uh, two or three big other names? Well, you know, you, you kind of hit it when, uh, you know, this is right in Jupiter, Florida, where a lot of those stars live, especially Tiger Woods. He lives right in Jupiter, right around Jupiter. Um, speculation could be anyone at this point because they said that it's 25 names on a list. And like you said before, there's, they say there's some big names on that list. Well, it's funny. I was listening to the radio yesterday, and DMAC was reading some of the names off, so he must have had the list. So well, I don't know if there's more than, than 25 people article, on that list. First articles that were put out, there was a list, and it was a picture of it taken by TMZ, and in the middle was Robert Kraft's name, but there was all the names at top and below it on the same picture. Okay, so, yeah, so right. you didn't recognize any of the other names? I didn't. I didn't see any names that I, I recognized. But yeah, like, again, so it wasn't. there's been all this, there's been reports that there's, you know, a, a, a name or two that's possibly bigger than Kraft on there. So if the if the report's already been released, that might be a bogus report. <laughs> I don't know. No, I, so now they they said the investigation and the arrest charges are not done. This was the first round of uh, charges oh. and arrests. So there, I think they said there was at least going to be like 170 or so Johns on the list, and I think they've only gone through about 70 so far. So I, oh, I think that's the second round or even third round. Uh, coming up, king of uh, crazy sex things, and uh, you know, it's kind of surprising this is happening in Jupiter, Florida. You know, why in the world wasn't it happening on Uranus? You know, that seemed like that would have been a uh, a more you know accurate kind of place for this to occur. But I did want to tell everybody out there listening, I watched the movie, <laughs> I watched the movie Borders last night or Border, I think it's called. Excellent movie, totally recommend. It's really weird, and it'll really push your uh, it'll push your your limits a lot. But if you want to see one of the craziest sex scenes you'll ever see in film, this that's the movie to go watch. I tell you what, it was it was a wild, wild ride. And and no, it's not a porno. It's it's an actual movie. Um it is an it is a Swedish movie, so you have to deal with subtitles, but of course in a sex scene, uh the words aren't really important. So anyway, uh we spent a half an hour talking about old Mr. Mac uh, Kraft Macaroni and Cheese. So uh, we'll go ahead and move on uh to some other subjects, maybe something a little bit lighter hearted. We've got Manny Machado signing with the uh, Pop did you guys give, can Should we give the trivia question there, Mark? Oh, I forgot all about that. Yeah, please do. Um, sorry about that. We uh, we just we kind of spaced it. But uh, anyway, here it's a kind of a three part question. So you know, see how close you can get. But uh, how many opening day no hitters have there been in the history of Major League Baseball? Who threw them? And in what years? All right, terrific. So we'll uh, we'll hit that question in about a half an hour. So any of our listeners out there, if you want to call in and uh, see if you know the answer to the, to the question, uh, I tried to answer it last night and I was wrong. I think I still have a kind of a closer idea, but uh, it's definitely a, a good question. Uh, call in number for the show here is nine two nine four seven seven zero four. Nine two nine four seven seven three two zero four. And while we're on it, please remember to like us on Facebook and follow us at Twitter. You can find us at the handle at the SPT Offensive. We also now have our YouTube channel up. It's under the Sports Offensive. 
And you can uh, check it out on our website at www.thesportsoffensive.com. Nate is doing some wax box breaking and some wax pack unwrapping uh, for your viewing pleasure. So go ahead and check that out. Now back to Manny Machado signing with the the Padres. Uh, JP, you know, I I saw a comment that you had made on Facebook about their minor leagues being kind of iffy, but they actually have done the the rankings for this year came out a little while ago, and Padres were actually ranked number one in uh, farm teams, which I wasn't aware they had stockpiled their teams so well. So I guess the question is, you know, if they have a lot of good players coming up from the minors, last year they signed Eric Hosmer to go along with Will Myers out in that lineup, plus they've got – uh oh man, who is that rookie guy that that's really fast? Uh, not Mankata. Um, I'll have to think about I know, it. But, I know I can't think of his name either. He plays in the outfield, center field, right? Yeah, yeah, big Steeler guy. He's, he's going to be a good player Shoot. soon. I, I'm it's, I'm drawing a blank on him too. I'll, I'll look him up in a moment. But you know, JP. I mean, I, I my question was maybe maybe Machado's thought was they've got. Will Myers, who's a great player when he's healthy, they got they signed Eric Hosmer, who had a horrible year last year, but they did sign him to a big money contract. Now they've got Machado, they've got the number one minors in the league, and and they have said they are not out of the running to sign Bryce Harper. Any chance the Padres become the class of the NL West in the next two years? You know that's a that's a good point. I did not see their number one ranking prior to my statement. I thought their minors had been in a little bit of disarray over the last couple of years, because you just don't really hear about them all that much, um, considering they play on the West Coast and their minors are stretched around. Um, now, there is a talk of Bryce Harper talking with the Phillies today and a sit-down meeting, I think, in Vegas. So there is that out there also. Um, but if Machado saw that they had a good minor league system in place and they've been making serious upgrades, you know what, more power to them for going there. I mean, it's a nice change of pace. I mean, we're so used to seeing all these big-name players sign with the Yankees or the Red Sox. or uh, The Dodgers haven't actually signed a whole lot of big-time free agents, but they, they, they trade for a lot of big-name players. Uh, so it is kind of nice, in my opinion, to see someone go to a smaller market team that looks like they're making a real, sh- a real push. Uh, Nate, what would you think – how many wins does Machado add to the Padres from last year? I think at least five or six, if not ten. He's a good you, player, man. Do you think there's any chance that they do get Bryce Harper along with him? Uh, no. I think that's just incredible. That that would be just way too – I mean, that's almost a billion dollars between him and Hosmer and Machado. So, no. Well, <laughs> so it makes but, you wonder, doesn't it? No, it's okay. I I think that they're going to make some other moves. And I do think that they're probably two or three years out yet. Uh, you know, the, they do have a nice little lineup now. Uh, you know, if Hosmer's able to kind of bounce back, Myers stays somewhat healthy. Uh, you know, obviously the addition of Manny is going to probably bat in that three hole. And uh, it's going to, you know, that, that certainly adds some more depth to that lineup. And, uh, you know, the deeper you make the lineup, the tougher it is on the pitcher. So, but I think the major problem in San Diego right now is the pitching. Um, you know, they they just don't have a whole lot. Uh, starters, relievers, any of them. And, and the good ones they had last year, they traded away. So I don't see them making a huge jump this season just 
due to that fact. And I know they do have the number one farm system, but a lot of that is because of their hitters that they have in the farm system. So I think they're going to have to spin some of these guys into some pitchers uh, at some point. But I do like what they're doing there in San Diego. And, man, they are overdue. You know, it's time for them to start competing. Um, if they're going to, you know, be in Major League Baseball, let's do this. <laughs> you know, and that is the, that is the big question, right? Because when you look at the um, starting pitching, it, it, it is kind of it, it's shocking, really. I mean, they've got uh, Joey Lucchesi or Lucchesi. I'm not sure you say his name. Eric Lauer, they've got Robbie Erlin, they've got Jacob Nix. And Nix, you know, has got some hype, but, you know, he's got to actually – I mean, and then the last guy is Luis Perdomo. I mean, there's not – there's nothing that's really intimidating about that staff. So maybe that thought process is we just need to absolutely outscore every one of our opponents, and they do have a good lineup. They've got Hosmer we've talked about. They've got Machado we've talked about. The one I was talking about earlier, Nate, that we couldn't think of his name is Manuel Margot. You know, and he's had a hit a nice rookie Thanks. season. He could have a great year this year. They've got uh, Fran Mill Reyes in right, which isn't great. They do have Hunter Renfro in left, who's not a bad player at all. They're going to be able to move Urias to shortstop, which doesn't hurt. And they've got Ian Kinsler at second base to start the year. Very possible that Ian Kinsler is not there by the end of the year. The guy is brittle. He's old. Well, he's old by baseball standards. And and they have uh, Fernando Tatis Jr., I think, coming up. They do. There's been there's been some talk about whether or not he'll break camp with the club. So if that happens, he'll almost for sure take over second base for Kinsler. And again, I said we, they've got Will Myers, who who's technically is like a bench player right now. But uh, you know he would never be on the bench. He would he would circulate between the outfield positions and first base uh, and give someone a day off every other every day uh, and keep him in the lineup full time or even give him some rest to keep him from getting injured. So a good lineup. Not a good pitching staff. Their bullpen, my goodness, I've never even heard of these guys, let alone their closer. So, uh, going to need to hit well. JP, your uh, comment earlier about the Phillies, I had not heard about him meeting with the Phillies. I did hear that – I'm sorry, I was talking about Bryce Harper. Uh, I did hear that the Nationals have said they've moved on. They are no longer offering a contract uh, to, to uh, uh, Bryce Harper. Not that he would sign there anyway but that's another team that's off the, off the potential list. So that, that definitely helps the Phillies. Now I heard the Phillies are interviewing Craig Kimbrell and very mm-hmm. possibly going to make an offer to him uh, maybe as early as today. Uh, and I heard there was another person that they were looking at and I can't for the life of me think of who it was. I don't, um, I don't was know. It if Dallas you... Michael? Yes. Very. Thank you. Excellent. That's exactly who it was. And, JP, I will say, um, I'm looking at ESPN's front page right now, and, yep, it says that Philadelphia's owner is flying to Vegas to meet with Harper. So, boy, yeah. if, if they brought in Keuchel and Kimbrell and Harper, boy, Phillies could be, uh, could be the team to beat in the NL next year. What do you think? You know, I think if they can pull off a couple of those moves, I think they, they have a good core of young players. We saw that last year with them hanging around right at the top of the NL East. And, um, you know, the, the skies could be the limit here. If they can pull off some deals here, I love their chances. Still feel a little uh, bad for J.P. Crawford. I mean, that guy was super hyped. They gave him one year in the bigs. I mean, one year, and they might have even brought him up too early because they were trying to make more of a splash before they realized how good of a team they had last year. 
and now he's been shipped off to Seattle. I don't, I still don't mm-hmm. quite understand that move, but you know, when you don't see a player every day, you don't know what, you know, what the team knows and you don't see the practices, right? Like in the NFL, all the times people are like, well, why isn't this guy starting? Why isn't this guy playing? Well, because he didn't do well in practice, you know? And as much as Allen Iverson might think practice is pointless, practice does matter in terms of getting your team all on the same page. So, uh, Nate, do you think the Phillies would be the team to beat in the NL East if they were to get even just two out of those three players? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I don't see them getting all three. That's just way too much money, man. They've already spent quite a bit of money. Um, they've made some big moves. Uh, adding uh, Real Muto um, was a big, you know, that was a nice trade piece the other day, or, or a couple weeks back, excuse me, uh, and a couple Cute. other nice pieces. So Yeah, so I, I think they'll, they'll probably make a move and get one or two of them. Uh, I, I think Kimbrell would be a nice addition for them. They really don't have, uh, um, you know, a top-end, back-end closer. So I think that would be great. And then I do think Harper will definitely sign there. I just Nobody else seems to want to dole out $300 million right now, uh, even the Yankees. So 48 hours, Bryce Harper is a Philly. Well, and, you, really, you know, Dallas uh, Keiko would be an afterthought. I just don't, I don't think he goes there. But again, again, he, the more these days go on, the cheaper he gets. I mean, I don't know if people out there have really paid enough attention to the Phillies and what they've done this off season, because I don't see enough predictions. Um, I mean, not that all, the predictions haven't really all come out yet, but I mean, how the Phillies are not being really talked about, because let's say you add Bryce Harper, he takes over right field, which right now they have Williams, which is not a, nothing you know that great but listen to the other positions because people forget about these things so you mentioned real muto at catcher great catcher maybe the best in baseball especially uh, an outstanding offensive catcher they've got yes. uh, hoskins at first who guy's got incredible power they've got caesar hernandez over at second base and they've got kingery ready to kind of take over that spot as well and, and that guy is no slouch they've got segura at shortstop an excellent addition brought over in the trade for J.P. Crawford. At least I think that's where they got him. Um, Bronco is. is at third base. And, you know, he has not – he never kind of blossomed into the player that people hoped he was going to be, but he's certainly a, a, a serviceable starter and, and a guy that's not going to hurt you. They also have Andrew McCutcheon in left field, and then they've got uh, Herrera in center. I mean, that is a good, good lineup to be facing. And the rotation has got Nola, Arietta, Pavetta – Effin, I mean, and they've also got Eikhoff if they need to as a, like a sixth starter. So if you bring in Kimbrell, I mean, really, Kimbrell and Harper, I don't know how that's, that might not be, that might be the team to beat in the entire National League. Do you think that's possible? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, look at the other contenders, I guess, right? Okay, so we see we've got the Dodgers who were in the World Series last year. They've lost some pieces. Um, you know, I don't know if they're going to be quite as good, but then also they gained, I guess, you know, they do, they'll probably get Seager back healthy and, and uh, you know, those things. So, I, I mean, the Dodgers are certainly a very good team and will be right there. Uh, so, but I think, you know, the Phillies match them for talent for sure. Um, some of the other teams, I think, you know, the Rockies are being considered a contender. 
Uh, Milwaukee, I suppose, is being considered a contender. Uh, they're not too big on the Cubs this year for whatever reason. But, um, you know, those are the teams that come to mind for me. Atlanta, I guess, in the East would be their biggest competitor who had a very successful season last year and made some nice additions uh, in the off season as well. And who I've heard are also players in the Dallas Keuchel uh, market too. So I think, you know, Atlanta really is going to be Atlanta, L.A., and I say Chicago. I, I don't know why nobody else does, but I think those will be the teams that will push the Phillies. But, boy, if they add Kimbrell and Harper, that's the best team in the NL, in my opinion. Yeah, I, it it would be a very exciting season to see. And I agree with you that the Cubs are being a little bit too poo-pooed, in my opinion. Now, I yeah. think that they are trending down. I think that uh, – I think their pitching staff is is – I mean, they're big names, but I just don't know if these names are young enough or healthy enough to do much. I mean, you've got Lester who, you know, I mean, yeah, he was amazing that, that World Series year, but he's, you know, he's getting up there and he's kind of trending down. Cole Hamels they picked up from the Texans and, you know, he's been good, but he's obviously, you know, way on the tail end of his career. You've got Darvish who had just a disaster of a season with injuries and we assume he's going to come back healthy, but we don't know. You've got Hendricks, who outside of his playoff dominance in the World Series year hasn't done much. And they've got Quintana that they brought over that they kind of thought was going to be a stud. And while he has pitched well strikeout-wise, he didn't pitch all that well record-wise. So I think that's why the Cubs are not getting a lot of uh, hoopla because of the, the worries over the pitching staff. But we all have Those to Those are five pretty good pitchers. <laughs> well, but I'm saying is that it's – is it five good pitchers or is it five good names? You know, are well, these guys I, really good, that good of pitchers anymore? Sure. And I, I think that's a very valid question. Uh, you know, a lot of it is age, you know, Lester certainly is declining, although he's still a very good pitcher. I think he's still at least the number three, um, you know, Darvish is kind of the wild card for me because if he's able to come back, and be a semblance of what he was two or three years ago, all of a sudden you've got yourself, you know, a borderline number one starter. Um, you know, Hendricks is kind of an anomaly. I just don't get it. Like, his control seems to have disappeared. Uh, and that was kind of what he was known for. So I think he rebounds this year. I think Quintana had some adjustments to make, and I think he has a big year. But really it's about that lineup for the Cubs. Um I, I I could be gassed, but I do kind of have a feeling uh, that they're going to have a huge offensive year. I think Chris Bryant, to me, could be the best steal in the fantasy draft this coming year. Uh, I also think Anthony Rizzo, I mean, they have some great hitters. So, I don't know. I, I think the Cubs are going to be a very good team. They're a 90-win team, in my opinion. Uh, but, boy, man, the, the Phillies adding those two players – that's going to be tough to top. So you're just so you know, Nate, your your phone signal is getting pretty weak. You're starting starting to break oh. up a little bit. So if you want to oh. uh, switch or something? It was it was great the whole rest of the show. It just kind of suddenly kind of got shaky. Um, you got know, it. Chris Bryant, uh, uh, he will be a bargain this year. I mean, the guy had such a disaster of a season last year that uh, yep. I mean that, that MVP award is a, is a, is a, is, a, is a quite a ways in the rearview mirror. Um, obviously he's still got talent and the guy is not that old. So, you know, he's got, yeah, he's like 25, 26. He's got all the opportunity in the world to jump back. He's actually hitting 27, which is supposed to be 
your big uh, breakout power year. So uh, definitely, uh, this, I mean, and yeah, no one should forget that this Cubs team won 90 plus games last year and came within a victory of taking the entire division. And Milwaukee the last is three not, years. Well, I just mean last season, though. I mean, they they yeah. they did win some odd games and they and they almost won the division. That to me, more than anything else, is the competition in the division. Uh, Milwaukee, are they really going to be able to depend on having a dominating bullpen again? Maybe. I mean, the the Royals did do it for two years, but relying on relievers to have back-to-back amazing seasons is not a, a winning strategy for most ball clubs. Most ball clubs that have amazing relief corps one year will find themselves in the middle of the pack or even the lower part of the pack the next season. It's just kind of how it goes. And when you have a great season from relievers, oftentimes they get overused and they, they pitch more innings than they really can handle. And it takes them a year to get back on track or to get to, to get their arms back to full strength. And so the, I don't see Milwaukee. The other thing, Mark, is, you know, a lot of teams carry 12 pitchers, you know, 11, 12 pitchers. So, you know, if that's minus the five starters, that's seven, eight guys in your bullpen. The way contracts work and such, the chances of keeping all those guys together year to year to year, you know, is just next to impossible, especially if they've had some success. Right. And I mean, there are other names out there in the Chicago bullpen that, you know, are kind of afterthoughts and they shouldn't be, such as Steve Sishek. You know, he used to close for the Marlins. Yep. They've got Chatwood they brought over from the Rockies. They've got Stroke. Montgomery. Who they were waiting for him to 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 to, to pop out and and take over a rotation spot, and he's not even considered part of the rotation going into spring training. Uh, so I mean, there is a there's plenty of talent there. Uh, just really kind of how you bring it together. And what I was also getting to, uh, with their with their division is I don't see who challenges them in the division. I mean, the Reds are going to be good, not really. I mean, they'll be better with Puig and and Wood and and uh, oh, who's the other guy they got from the Dodgers. Um, oh, I forgot. Sonny Gray, Gray, Matt Kemp. Matt Kemp, that's the other guy they got from the Dodgers. So, um, you know, I mean, that they'll be better, but they're, they, you know, they're not going to be great. I mean, the, it, the Cardinals, I guess, are the are, are oh, the yeah. biggest threat, Goldschmidt. So we'll see what happens there. But you know, the the the, the Cardinals kind of look old too. So it's it's going to be an interesting it's just, it's going to be an interesting season uh, for baseball. Period. But yeah, going back to our original point. Uh, the Phillies, if they are able to pick up Bryce Harper or Kimbrell or maybe just one of the two, uh, they become a very, a very dangerous team. Baseball is certainly a younger man's game. So uh, anyway, um, you know, you, we kind of segue to the Dodgers because you had mentioned them in the West. They so Clayton Kershaw yesterday was shut down, and all we've been told is he felt something quote unquote was amiss in his. In his in his throwing. Now, it's not all that uncommon for pitchers in their first couple of sessions in spring training, first time they've thrown full strength uh, in a number of months, to feel a little bit off kilter, have a mechanics a little bit off. You know, maybe their launch angle, maybe their um, you know, maybe with their leg kick or, or it's something just a little tiny bit off. But of course, when you're talking about your ace for a number of years, uh, it is always something concerning when you have to shut them down. But it, it, the good news is it's not his back, which has been his milieu over the number of years. It is his arm that was feeling something off. Dave Roberts has not sounded uber concerned, 
But as of right now, there is no uh, timetable for him to begin throwing again. So, JP, you know, Kershaw has not produced in the playoffs the way that the fans of the team would have hoped for most of his career. Is this a disaster if they were to lose Kershaw, let's say, for a whole year, maybe to, like, UCL surgery or something like that? Or are they deep enough that it's not really going to matter? Well, Kershaw's been so consistent during the regular season, getting to that postseason and having him not perform the way they've always wanted to. I could see if, if something is wrong with him, you know, like you said, UCL or whatever, um, that could propose a problem for those guys, especially with what the Padres have right now out there and uh, so on and so forth. Um, I'd be a little bit concerned right now if I, if I were the Dodgers and, and, and a Dodger fan like you are. Yeah, no, that's a great point. That you, you, the the Kershaw consistency, the stopper ability, has been huge for the Dodgers uh, for jeez, a uh, ten, twelve year, however long he's been pitching. Um, you know, yeah. he's always been a stabilizing force, and, and and you know, also gives give the rest of the staff someone to look to uh, to kind of get things in gear or to go the right direction. The Dodgers do have a deep pitching staff, and this actually, uh, I, I I as a fan especially do not want to say anything wrong with Kershaw. My goodness, if they can't get Kershaw a World Series ring before he retires, I'll be mortified because this guy is going to go down in history as the, you know, uh, the uh, dueling ace to Sandy Koufax, and then the two great left-handers in the history of the team. But they do have a long bench of starters. They've got Bueller from last year who actually didn't have that many wins. I think he only got 12 wins. But, boy, did he look amazing, uh, especially down the stretch and in the playoffs. That guy was just phenomenal, and he's young. Uh, there is a little concern about the fact that he's already had UCL surgery, and do want to be kind of careful uh, with his arm. But, again, he's been looking great. They've got Ryu, who is underappreciated out in the baseball world, but certainly not by the Dodger front office. They've still got Rich Hill, and, you know, for the six or seven starts of the year that he doesn't have a blister, He's usually pretty good. They've got Maeda, who was excellent in the postseason. And then you've also got two guys that are not technically considered in the rotation yet, but they could easily step in, which is Ross Stripling and uh, Jose Urias, who that guy has the talent to be the next Kershaw, and he's only 20 years old. So, uh, you know, they've got plenty of depth there. They've also, you know, shorted their defense or their bullpen a little bit by adding Joe Kelly. So they've now got Kelly, Baez, and Jansen. Uh, on the tail end of their bullpen. Hopefully, Jansen uh, heart uh, procedure corrected his irregular heartbeat. Uh, you know, last season, he started off a little iffy in the beginning of the year, and then he had some real trouble uh, down the stretch. And I think in the beginning of the year, they didn't, they didn't tell us that it was the heart condition uh, that was causing the problem. But, you know, even if your heart uh, is fine in terms of you're not going to die or anything like that, an irregular heartbeat, you know, I have that problem, and it is something that creeps into your mind anytime you're exerting yourself and you feel a thud or you feel a missed beat or something like that. All of a sudden you get worried, and you, that becomes your first thought. Instead of just playing your game and doing your job, your, your mind is not on the job. Your mind is on, you know, why does that feel weird? What's going on? So I think that was a big cause for Jensen's um, somewhat spotty performance last year. And hopefully that's been turned around. But, uh, yeah, losing Kershaw, uh, even if the 
talent part of it or the the the, the innings part of it uh, isn't the disaster. I mean, he hasn't done 200 innings in a number of years, uh, but I think it would be a mental blow to the team uh, that would be very painful and hard hard to overcome. So uh, obviously my best well wishes out there to Kershaw. Nate, do you have any uh, opinion on terms of what you think that would do to the Dodgers to lose Kershaw? It'd be pretty devastating to lose your number one pitcher. You know, especially, you know, how, how successful he has been over the last, whatever, eight to ten seasons. Um, you know, winning a number of Cy Young awards and um, striking out tons of guys. I mean, the guy's just a force. Uh, I don't, You know, taking somebody that talented off a team, how could it not have an impact? Um, that being said, uh, you did a great job kind of rounding out that rotation because they are deep. And I think they may have the deepest pitching staff overall in the whole major leagues. And I think that's a big reason of why they've been successful. Obviously they're deep, you know, everywhere. They're deep in the outfield. They're deep in the infield, but um, you know, the minor leagues aren't terrible. So that's a deep team. So if there's any team out there that could overcome something like that, I think this is certainly one of the teams that could, um, you know, and, and yeah, JP mentioned, you know, his lack of success in the, in the postseason. But, you know, the, the past isn't always kind of a harbinger of the future. You know, I, who knows, maybe the guy has a fantastic year and then does very well in the playoffs this year. You just never know. Um, you know, I think things change from year to year and people grow and mature and those types of things. So, uh, but overall, yeah, losing a guy like that certainly has an impact. I just think it would be minimal on a team like this just because of their depth. And that's definitely been their, their, their goal. Uh, Andrew Fieldman or Friedman, however you say his name, uh, his, there was a lot of talk around Dodge land, especially when they traded away Puig and Kemp and Wood, that they were making room for Bryce Harper and for his contract. And when they didn't really make a run at him, uh, people were kind of disappointed. But Andrew, the, the president of the team, he said, you know, our goal is to build a deep team where we don't have to ever worry about injuries or worry about, you know, someone having an off year. And they really have done that. I mean, the outfield, they added Pollock. So now they got Peterson, Pollock, and Bellinger in the outfield. They've got Turner at third, which is kind of their uh, straw that stirs the drink. They brought Seager back at shortstop. If he can rebound to who he was, he was, um, you know, an MVP type candidate. Uh, second base is a little iffy. They're probably going to do a, a, a combination of, uh, you know, Chris Taylor and uh, Kiki Hernandez. Uh, Muncie will probably be at first base again, if not Bellinger uh, for some starts. Uh, the catcher's a little odd. Uh, they, they decided to go with Austin Barnes as their number one and then bring back Russell Martin, the, the, the player who's famous for having, I think, seven middle names uh, overall, and uh, but bringing him back for a, a swan song year. But what I wanted to ask you about fantasy-wise, um, now I, I would not take Pollock anywhere early because the guy gets hurt so often, I just assume he won't play a lot. So the guy that most likely take his position if he's hurt or or, or down and out or maybe just rotate guys out of the outfield is going to be their rookie sensation, uh, Alex Verdugo. And I wanted to know, in your expert opinion, what round does he go in a fantasy baseball draft on a points league? Verdugo, where does Verdugo go? Or Yeah, Verdugo. Boy, you know, this is one of the bigger years I can remember for prospects, at least from what I've 
I haven't delved into it a ton, but from what I'm reading, I mean, you've got guys like Juan Soto, you know, Acuna, um, uh, Tatis, who we mentioned in San Diego, uh, Vlad Guerrero in Toronto, Aloy Jimenez in Chicago. I mean, there is just a ton of guys coming up that are going to most likely make an impact this year. And I think all the names that I mentioned are probably better than Verdugo. However, the guy is still a very good player and probably a top, you know, 10, 15, 20 minor leaguers. So, you know, the way things go in our league, Mark, and how smart people are and how focused they are on a youth movement, you know, I would say that he's probably between a 10th and a 12th round pick. I could see that. I I don't think that the players uh, that you mentioned are necessarily like better players than him, but I think that most of the people that you mentioned have um, a better... They're more highly touted. Well, I was thinking that they have a better route to playing time. Whereas sure, he doesn't have sure. a yeah. right now. He doesn't, he doesn't, right. he, he'd have to play his way in. He'd have to have a spectacular spring and still convince them to sit Peterson well, or, I mean, that's the only person they could, they could sit. They're not going to sit Bellinger. They're not going to sit uh, Pollock that they just purchased. So, uh, yeah, his is Pollock going to make it 50 games? <laughs> no, that, that, that's his opening right there. But then the Dodgers still have Kiki Hernandez, who they love playing out in the outfield. I mean, they love playing that guy. So uh, Dave Roberts is a huge fan of Kiki. So uh, very possible that Verdugo just doesn't get enough at-bats to be to be a sensation. But great names you mentioned. I mean, especially Jimenez and, and Vlad. I mean, Jimenez is expected to be um, or uh, 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 have a huge year. And Vlad, I think you mentioned last week, uh, this guy is touted as maybe being a generational-type talent. So going to be a very fun year and I tell you what I this is going to be the season I'm most disappointed I don't have I'm not in a dynasty baseball league because boy you could have eight or ten picks there uh in the first or second round of guys who may not even well, be starter to start the season I I really think you and I should do a dynasty league team you know join one that's like one of those big money ones Absolutely. I think that'd be fun. Yeah, we should look into that before it gets too late in the season here. We're getting kind of down to the uh, the nitty grit. Do not forget, people, March 28th, it's basically a month away from today. You're going to be, you know, the season is going to start. So your draft is going to be in about three and a half to four weeks. So, you know, get on it, get ready, be ready. uh, And and, and at least, you know, make sure you just, you know, you don't necessarily need to have a lot of in-depth research because that's never helped me very much. But, you know, you never want to not know the name of a player and you get down to that 17th round or the 16th round and there's a highly touted rookie that's still out there or a, or a potential rookie out there that you could take and you end up taking a Homer Bailey instead of taking, uh, instead of taking the stud. So uh, at least make sure you know all these names. We are at the halfway point of the show. Nate, you want to go ahead and repeat that trivia question? Absolutely. So, again... How many opening day no-hitters have there been in the history of Major League Baseball? Who threw them, and in what years? So we did do that text exchange. I mean, JP, do you want to try and go first? I mean, we already know the answer for the number, so I guess we should just say. That, say that again, Mark. I don't, know the answer for the, I don't know the answer for the number of opening day ones. Okay, so no, I was just saying we texted yesterday last night, and so I know how many there were. Um, oh, oh so I'm guess, sorry, that's right, we did. 
So we can just we can just tell the, our listeners that one. So uh, the number is one. I thought there was more than one. I thought there was actually two on the same day one time, but you said there was just one. Is that correct, Nate? Just one one opening day no hitter. Just one. Okay, I'm going to ask for a little bit of a hint, and that is mm-hmm. I, I texted this to you last night. I feel like it was the one that I that was that jumped into my mind was in like the last ten years or even. Might have been like the last six years. Is that is that accurate, or is it older than that? It is older than that. Okay, so it's not who I was thinking. So I don't have a name, but I have an error that I think this might have happened in. And I think it happened back in the 40s or 50s. That is correct. But I do not have a name for you. <laughs> okay, well, I... I any more guesses, Mark? Or? Um, 40s or 50s? Oh, no. Can you give me a... All right, let me cheat a little oh, bit. What, I can give you, you the... Um, I can give you the team. Yeah, yeah, do that. How about that? Cleveland. That's the... It's the Indians and not the Spiders, right? The Spiders were gone by then, right? Uh, correct. It's the Indians, yes. Okay. Unless the, unless the Indians are the Spiders. But I don't think they are, though. I think the Spiders went somewhere and changed their name. Anyway, it doesn't matter. It's not on that team. Uh, so Cleveland Indians in the 40s and 50s. Uh, I don't think you're going to get it, but I think once you hear who it is, you'll be like, oh, yeah. Yeah, only pitcher I can think from back then because that's when they like went to the World Series and they got clubbed by the Giants was Bob Feller. And that is your answer. Oh, it was Bob Feller that did it. That is correct. Wow. Well, thank you for the hint. I mean, I'd have never gotten even April April sixth, nineteen forty, versus the Chicago White Sox. Bob Feller spun a no hitter. The only one ever on opening day. Oh, so it was all the way back in 1940. <laughs> yep, yep. You know, I don't, I don't even know if I knew he was pitching. But I was thinking it was like, well, because it was, I, if I remember right, and you know, what's funny is, as I, I always remember this because of the major league, uh, the movie Major League, and they have those baseball articles that are kind of flying through the camera, you know, going through the years, and it was 19, mm-hmm. I think this is right, 1954. I think that they lost to the Giants, and I was thinking, I was thinking more in the fifties is when they were really good, and that would have happened. But I guess your team doesn't have to be good for you to throw a no hitter. So, um, right, wild. So there was only one. You know who I was thinking it was when you first asked the question was for some reason I was thinking, um, I kept thinking the Cardinals, and I felt like either the Cardinals did it or the Tigers did it. Obviously, obviously, I was way off, but uh, well, that's a good question. What, if just off the top of your head, the year with the most no hitters was that year when there was two of them on the same day, right? Like eighty, eighty nine or ninety two or something like that. Wasn't yeah, there a year with like, so. like there was like eight or nine of them? And I want to say yeah. that Hideo Nemo and Dave Stewart or something threw one on the same day or something. Yeah, I, I think there was the, uh, two on the same day, and I believe it was the number was eight. But I'm, you know, again, I'm not positive. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, I could Google it, but that's not that's not as nearly as much fun as just wondering. Um, the other thing I was thinking about was the uh, it has nothing to do with a no hitter, but amazing feats by a pitcher was the Dodgers had Chan Ho Park, the Korean sensation on their team for a number of years, and he gave up two grand slams. No, I, no, he wasn't still pitching. I'm sorry. It was the hitter. It was uh, he hit two grand slams in one inning. Was that was that Tatis's the, the dad? Fernando oh, Tatis. Oh, that could be. Could be. Yeah. Sorry, I'm sorry, everybody. Two grand, kinda... two grand slams in one inning. Yeah, the guy hit two grand slams in one wow. inning against the Dodgers. Uh, that, many, I wonder oh, how many times that's been done. Oh, I'm sure that's only happened once. <laughs> but yeah. I guess you know, it's baseball, right? There's probably everything's always ever happened. Uh, let's see. Oh, let's see. There have been two grand slams in the same game has happened 13 times. By, by the same player. Right, right. Okay. Uh, but two in the – yeah, it was Fernando Tatis. That's who it was. He hit yep. two – he hit uh, – it one off. Oh, it was Chan Ho Park. Chan Ho did the entire third inning. Yeah, he hit a grand slam off Chan Ho Park twice in the third inning. Um, <laughs> April twenty third, nineteen ninety nine. So it is wow. in April. So April twenty third can't be more than what four starts into a season or maybe five. Yeah. So yeah. his ERA probably went up like twenty six. Nine 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 nine. <laughs> right, like we used to play uh, MLB The Show or RBI Baseball or whatever. And you did a season in the in that first game. You gave up a home run in the first inning. And you're like, oh my guy's uh, ERA is infinity. So always a uh, <laughs> always a fun stat to have. So, all righty, uh, great questions. Thanks for coming up with that one. Uh, before sure. we head off uh, uh, off of baseball, uh, just a quick note: Patrick Corbin signed with the Nats for a fairly expensive deal. Do you believe in Corbin? I think I think he's going to be a pretty good player. Yeah, I mean, he's a 13 to 15 win guy. He's starting to really strike people out quite a bit more than he used to as well. Uh and you know, the, the Nationals aren't a terrible team. You know, losing Harper hurts, but uh they still have some very good players there in Washington and uh not to mention a young Juan Soto. So uh you know, there's certainly we didn't even really mention them as among contenders, but boy, I mean, when you have Max Scherzer and Steven Strasburg as your one, two, you've got to be at least mentioned uh, as a uh, contender. So uh, maybe we weren't doing them do, do justice, but uh, they, I mean, they still have Anthony Rendon and uh, you know, some, some good players. So uh, they did lose Daniel Murphy to the, to the Rockies, which is going to hurt. They also lost. Mm-hmm. They traded somebody else. Like trying to think, they traded somebody else away last season. Uh, that was kind of a shock. But you know, and they still got Trey Turner, right? So yep, uh, yep. Adam Eaton, Trey Turner, Anthony Rendon. Uh, that's a nice one, two, Michael three, right Turner. there. Yeah, I guess I don't know what to think of that guy. Is he ever going to yeah. blossom? Maybe he does now that he's no, got the plane. No, I think he is what he is. Uh, you know, I don't think he's going to be much. You know, he's a 250 hitter. He's trying to get you 20 steals, 25 steals. Not a huge home run guy. 15, maybe 20. Yeah, it, it's just they're not. I, I guess the best thing for the Nationals is that they're finally not the favorite, and they're finally not the, the team that everyone's looking to, and that can only help them. 
And like you said, I mean, they do have Sh- yeah. Scherzer, Strasburg. Now they've got Corbin. That's a good one, two, three. They got Sanchez as a four. Uh, I think Ross is technically their five. I don't know what to think of him. He's never quite, you know, come out, you know, done what he could. They do have Doolittle and Rosenthal in the bullpen. Jan Gomes behind the, the dish. Uh, they got Ryan Zimmerman at first. I don't know if anybody believes in his resurgence, but, uh, you know, they got Dozier at second. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's not, it's not the deal. Like you said, it's Soto, if he's great, you know, Eaton, Soto, Rendon, Turner, you know, it's, it's at least a livable uh, lineup. And then, you know, got a, a nice starting rotation. So, you know, I, I just think that it, see, it feels like the Phillies and the Braves uh, have really captured uh, the right talent and the right. Uh, well, and the know, youth. Yeah, the, the sum of the, the sum is greater than the parts kind of thing, where they may not have as many like you know, star ticket items. Yeah, the players. parts are the parts are greater than the sum in Washington. <laughs> yeah, right, right, exactly. Yeah, they're just they don't they have never produced the way that that people thought they should. Yeah, so, they're. The, I mean, uh, they've been very good for what five or six years in a row. I think last year was the first time they didn't make the playoffs in quite a while. Quite ever since they got Scherzer, pretty much they've been they've been the yeah. class of that. Uh, they also ever never since had. They any, were the Nationals almost. <laughs> right. They just they just never had much competition in that division except for the Mets that one year, and I yep. think it caught them off guard uh, that the that the the Phillies and the Braves exploded like they did. Boy, that and, that could be the best division in baseball, guys. I think the Mets are actually kind of flying under the radar quite a bit as well. Yeah, you would, boy, it's just one of these years. I think you just have Mats. I mean, we, we said this last year. We said it the year before. But if they can get that pitching staff to finally be healthy and on point, boy, they should have a good team, man. DeGrom, the Cy Young winner. They've got, uh, of course, you know, uh, Thor. If he's healthy for a whole season, he's dominating. And, you know, and they got uh, Mats, who if he's – he was finally healthy for all year last year. If he can keep that going, yeah. that's a really good one, Wheeler, two, three. We, yeah, Wheeler wasn't bad at times either. So he's a nice, you know, he's a nice piece as well. Uh, they picked yeah. up a couple of hitters, you know, too. They well, they made the trade with Seattle, so they brought over Edwin Diaz and Robinson Cano. Um, so those are two nice pieces. They also signed Wilson Ramos to catch. Um, so yeah, I mean. From a talent perspective, you know, those are four really good pitchers. And, uh, you know, we'll see what happens with the hitting. You know, there's definitely some <laughs> some some holes in the lineup. But, um, you know, it'll be interesting to see what Cano can do after coming off his big suspension and all that, if he's maybe done or is he going to be able to go back and be a 30-homer guy. That's a big question mark. But, uh, you know, they're not a slouch. You know, they do have Broxton, too, who's a guy who never came to fruition with, I believe it was Milwaukee that he played for. That guy yeah, has got a still so young. Out. Yeah, if they can get him in there and, you know, they've got Conforto out there, maybe can show him the right way. I mean, he's 28 years old, so it's it's kind of a put-up-or-shut-up kind of time. But, yeah. you know, the talent is there uh, to yeah, make I something mean, up. Nimmo, Nimmo wasn't bad last year either. So, No, he was a nice surprise. He could be... He could be a nice little fantasy darling uh, for you this year. I mean, he's not really a rotisserie type of player, but, you know, right. I mean, he's going to hit double digits in home runs and probably steals, and he's only 25, so he's got plenty of time to grow. So 
outfield. Uh, could be a very nice sneaky outfield pick to round out your fantasy lineup. Uh, last thing to say with the, with the ball and Nate, I just want to let you kind of pontificate on this since it's your boys. Uh, the Twins signed Marwin Gonzalez from the Astros for a two-year deal. Uh, could that maybe bounce the Twins back into contention? Well, the Twins have certainly made a few moves in the offseason, but I think their future kind of hinges on, you know, Sano and Buxton, and, and can those two uh, take a step forward? You know, I mean, Sano was an all-star two years ago uh, and then just looked like a ghost of himself last year. I think there was some things going on with him. You know, there were some accusations, um, you know, with him uh, and a reporter and those things, I'm sure they bother you, you know, during the season. So I'm kind of hoping he is able to rebound and, uh, you know, and Buxton. He just never has lived up to his his hype either. You know, he was kind of like a Jason Hayward where, oh, my gosh, this guy can do everything. He's got power. He can play outfield. You know, I mean, yeah, he's blossomed into an incredible outfielder. He did win a gold glove last year in center field, uh, you know, but uh, – his hitting has to take a huge step forward. So, but the twins, you know, I think Marwin Gonzalez is going to be a nice kind of utility player, somebody they can play all over the field. Um, they have a couple of young guys that are coming up. They have two shortstops. Um, Royce Lewis is one of them. And uh, I, the other one is a son of a former major leaguer. And I'm for some reason drawing a blank on his name right now. Um, it's not Adrianza, is it? No, no, it's a it's a pretty big name. Oh, Gordon. Gordon. It's uh, <clears throat> D. Gordon's little brother, Nick Gordon. Oh, interesting! I didn't even know he had a brother. <laughs> yeah. And, uh... Um. So the yeah, those two. I mean, I think Royce and and Gordon are twenty and nineteen, <laughs> respectively. So, you know, I don't know if they'll make it to the majors or not this year, but they are quite highly touted. Uh, Lewis, I think, even more than Gordon. So, uh, yeah, I think the Twins, they've got some players. You know, Panetta, can he come back and do well? We'll see. You know, he's a big question mark. I, I, The hitting, I don't think, is much of a problem. Sano should come back. Polanco is a good hitter. Buxton, even if he doesn't completely bust out, I mean, he was was definitely – yeah, closer to what you were hoping for last year. Kepler's good, and you know they they brought in Cruz, and I mean that. It, it, well, don't forget about I, Rosario. Right. No, I I just you know, and whether or not he yep. can hit, um, whether or not Cruz can you know hit forty home runs. I don't know if he can do that again still, but you know uh, he's he's definitely a Probably nice not bat. In that ballpark. Yeah, but it's a nice a nice a nice DH bat to add there. And you actually brought up Odori, uh and I was going to say. To me, that's the whole the whole question for that team this year is if Panetta is healthy and if Odorizzi can capture his uh, former form with Tampa Bay, you add those two guys on the back of the end rotation, and all of a sudden the Twins got a nice staff that can maybe carry him uh, deep into the season. Yep, I agree. I think you know the bullpen is going to be a huge part for the Twins. They've had a ton of injuries in the bullpen the last two years, actually. So, yeah, I honestly. Um, I honestly recognize any names from the bullpen so that would be uh that'd be a nice feat to uh to make that part of the part of the equation yeah trevor may was kind of supposed to be their closer 
the last two years, and he's had some pretty major injuries. So he's finally healthy, you know, throwing 97, 98. Um, he's kind of, I think, in the lead for that closer role, but they have a couple guys that had some success last year, Taylor Rogers. Um, we'll see what happens. You know, they got a couple guys in the minor leagues. Fernando Romero was a guy that came up and actually gave him some really good starts last year as a really young pitcher. I think he's only like 21, 22. And he was kind of a flash in the pan, you know, his first like five or six starts, he was unbelievable. And then he kind of fell off. Um, but he's being, I think, converted to the bullpen and he, you know, he throws like 99. So, um, he's definitely a piece that could be considered out there too. So we'll see. They've got a, you know, a lot of young guys that are, you know, under 26 or 26 and under still. So we'll see. It's a big development year for him and a new manager in Rocco, uh, Rocco Baldelli. Well, you know, if, if, if Romero can, uh, can get that whip down, that would be a huge boon for him and, and moving to the bullpen might be a good way to learn how to do that. So yeah, uh, yeah I think it yeah, could be an, an, a nice, uh, a nice transition for him. Um, yep. Before we jump into fantasy baseball, just uh, to cover at least one NFL topic that I think we should. And, and, you know, uh, for those who, you know, obviously aren't part of our group, uh, they don't know that we went out to the bar last night with, uh, with a couple of folks and, and we actually discussed a couple of these topics and I think they're, important ones to review and you know it it it, the meltdown of the Steelers right is is causing all sorts of waves around the NFL um so first off what you know you asked a question of who do where do you think Le'Veon Bell goes so JP let's start with you if you had to pick a location for Le'Veon where do you think is the most likely place for Le'Veon let's see the rumor the rumors had him gone to San Fran at some point a couple weeks ago Am am I am I correct on that there, I mean, there's been speculation on a lot of teams. Um, I, that's not where I really thought that he's going, but I'm sure that that's someone they're looking at because I don't even know who is the who is the Niners' number one running back right now. I'm not even sure I know. It's not Brady, that's a really right? Good well, they have. Remember, they had uh, the guy from the Vikings, McKinnon, who was supposed to be their number one, and he blew oh, his right. knee out. Yeah, and then they had Matt Breida come in, and he, you know, he did okay. Um, so I don't, I don't kind of their their one two. Yeah, I guess. I mean, do you? So I guess that's a question: Is do you trust McKinnon to come back uh, after blowing out his knee and being your workhorse? I don't think he can do that. So you know, Le'Veon would probably fit there. Um, that's definitely not where I think he's going. Uh, any other landing spots on your in your mind, JP? Uh, teams that could use a top-notch running back. Um, about, you can never count what about on this conversation because they're, they're pretty depleted at running back right now. They're running back by committee. Um, you know, you got to look at the Jets. The Jets have been playing in that market. You know, he wants to get paid, and the Jets are willing to pay him. What, about, that's your, what about your Eagles, buddy? That's the, I said that, uh, the, you know, the Eagles are still running back kind of by committee, and they really they, they kind of missed that, that big stud of a running back. And they're going to have some money to play with after dropping Nick. So, you know, I can't count them out either. Are they, is Ajay coming back, or is, it, is he thought that maybe he won't be ready in time? I don't think he's going to be ready in time. Interesting. I got to say that that was actually my guess last night. Uh, for where Le'Veon goes is the Jets. Uh, it's a good fit. 
They need a, a top-flight running back. I think they have good running backs, but I think they want that pressure off of the quarterback, uh, let him develop a lot more in his second year. Not to mention that their offensive line improved quite a bit last season. Not to mention their defense is has been uh, a very nice bright spot for the team. So I think that'd be a good landing spot for a, a team that needs to play defense and run the ball, run the rock. I think he'd be a good fit there. How about you, Nate? Where would you like to see Le'Veon end up? Well, I, I honestly think that Kansas City gets him. I think that would be a, a great fit for him, you know, an offense that's just kind of already a juggernaut. He would miss a beat fitting right into that uh, that type of Andy Reid uh, offense. And, I, you know, I think that would make them an incredible uh, force to deal with next year. Uh, I don't know what their salary cap situation is, but uh, – uh, I think that would be a great fit, and I think that would be a cool team for him to to be on because he would get a ton of touches. Um, another sleeper team that I'll throw in there would be the Detroit Lions. Uh, they just haven't had anybody in that backfield since Barry Sanders. So I think you know they probably have some money to throw around and a new coach, and they they're trying to figure out a new direction and. So I think he would be a nice compliment to Matt Stafford. Well, I can tell you without question that him going to the Chiefs would be the answer to the trivia question uh, or the Jeopardy question. What would make Mark uh, have uh, an incredibly upset stomach and uh, horrible nightmare? <laughs> well, yeah, I think Mark, Mark slash John Elway. <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh my goodness. Let's not let's not even entertain that thought, shall we? That that's not a good idea. Um, the other player well, what, that we were, well, why don't we mention it then? Well, what about the Broncos? Are they they no money to something like that? Can't afford them. No way. They got way too much money on the books right now with the two quarterbacks and the and uh, Emmanuel Sanders. There's just no way. I I I'd take him. I mean, I'll be. I mean, man, have him and Philip Lindsay back there. That'd be a nice little combo. But uh, mm-hmm. I I just don't think the I don't think that there's any way they can massage the cap considering that Le'Veon's going to be on a, on a, on a brand new deal and you're not well, getting maybe they just uh, trade Emmanuel Sanders straight up for Le'Veon. <laughs> can you imagine anyone trading for uh, Emmanuel out coming off of a, what, what the hell? I don't even know what happened with the torn Achilles or whatever happened it's to him. An Achilles. I, I yeah. It's an Achilles. Yeah. I wouldn't, I wouldn't trade for that contract and as a receiver as a receiver on the wrong side of 30 as well so right and, yeah. and please don't i don't think the broncos can pull out enough money yeah and and, and please no one difficult. out there no one out there think that i am crapping on emmanuel sanders that guy has been a fantastic bronco uh you know played hard through all the bad years and was reliable in the good years and you know no no ill will to that guy i actually was hoping he was going to retire so he can retire as a Bronco and, you know, kind of go out with nice memories, uh, even though I'm sure he's going to want to play uh, after ending on an injury, but I, I'd love to see him retire. So, But the other player that we were talking about was Antonio Brown. And the Steelers, I mean, so he had his talk with Rooney, and uh, they cleared the air, and it sounded like Antonio Brown didn't have, like, ill will towards Rooney at all, and they agreed it was time to move on, you know, the better, the best move for all parties involved. And, and I give credit to Rooney for, for doing that. I'm, I'm still flummoxed onto why it fell apart the way it did. 
I mean, lying about him having an injury because they wouldn't start him in the last game. Who he's mad at? Is he, is he mad at Ben Roethlisberger? Is he mad at, um, you know, Omar Epps? Is he mad at uh, Juju Schuster? I mean, I don't know what happened to him. But I don't think some... he's mad at anybody. He's just mad he hasn't gotten paid enough. Yeah, it's a it's definitely a receiver-friendly deal. But, I mean, he signed the deal just a couple of years ago, didn't he, or three years ago? I mean, yeah, but he's he's in his, you know, he's 30 as well. So, you know, he wants one more he wants one more big payday. That's what he wants. I don't think it's, you know, anything other than that. These players with heavy talent, I I don't know if it's that their agents just aren't thinking ahead or or what goes on. Or maybe the maybe the players unions like no sign longer deals so that it it looks better for average salaries for, for other players. But, I mean, why don't they sign con- – it was like rookie deal is five years if it's in the first – if you're in the first round or it's four years otherwise, right, is how long you're under contract to your new team unless they cut you. You know, let's say you come out in 22. It's a four-year deal. Let's say you're not a first-round pick. You go four years. Now you're 26. Shouldn't you only do a three- or four-year deal at that point to get to either 29 or 30 and then sign the, the contract for the rest of your career and do it, you know – and get your five-year deal, six-year deal to finish your career? Like, why why aren't contracts expiring that way? Because of the owners? I guess. Just Yeah, and the, the contracts are contracts weighted a little never, heavily on the back end, too. Contracts just have never made sense to me in any of the sports. I You know, I don't get it. You have, in baseball... You have guys, okay, let's give you an example of like a Nelson Cruz. I mean, the guy's 40, you know, 39, 40 years old. He's getting paid probably, you know, anywhere from 16 to 20 million a year. Right. At 40 years old. And he's, so he's being paid for what he has done, not what he's going to do or what, you know, speculation on what he's going to do. And I, I just never understood that. Like, you know, some players start, you know, with their, they they start real young, and then all of a sudden, you know, by 22, 23, 24, you know, like a Miguel Cabrera, they're freaking just crushing it. But he's only making a million a year at 24, you know, even though he's had three huge seasons in the MLB. So I just, I just have never understood that. And, you know, I think baseball is a little different, obviously, because it's contracts are guaranteed. But with the NFL, you know, it's – it's that guaranteed money. So, you know, yeah, he's, you know, Antonio Brown's probably going to make, he's probably under contract for whatever it is next year, 10 to 15 million for the year, but he's looking for one more big chunk of guaranteed money before he gets too old. You know, he, he thinks that, Oh, I can, you know, if I can get another three year deal for, you know, 10 million a year and get, you know, 80% of that up front, that's what he wants. He wants a bunch of, you know, he wants one more big chunk of dough before it's too late. I think personally it would be a good idea for not only the Players Association, but the ownership do fully guaranteed contracts in the NFL. And let me tell you why. The fact that they're guaranteed, and I think they're both, I think it's in the NBA and Major League Baseball now, but we know for sure in baseball it's always been that way. The, the Players Union has gotten that contract guaranteed a long time ago that's been the year uh been the deal and then they, they make certain concessions right like the concession of the 510 rule for players if you've been in the league for at least 10 years or 
five, uh, 10 years and five years with the same team, uh, then you can have a no trade uh, power. But it, it, it does also force a player to be loyal to the team. And you may occasionally hear about holdouts or, or you know, gripes of their contract, like the famous gripe by Frank Thomas about uh, the insulting amount he was being paid. And then he went out and had the worst season of his career, you know, but most of the time you don't hear a lot about contracts in baseball. Uh, they just are basically, you know what? Until We're going to pay year. Right. Well, and that's the thing that's going to happen with the, the, there is a lot of talk in baseball right now that if things don't change severely, when the contract expires in, I don't know if it's next season or the season after, it's coming up, the players are expecting a strike or a lockout one way or the other. One of the two is going to happen because the players are not okay with the way superstars are being treated right now. But you got to look at it also as like the players are wanting to demand these 10-year contracts that are guaranteed. And, you know, clubs are looking at other teams that are not doing so well right now and saying that's why. You look at the Angels with Albert Pujols. He's a shell of himself, which is not a shock at his age. But him being a shell of himself is taking up $30 million a year that can't be spent on a good player or on, a, on an up-and-coming type player. And you're absolutely right, Nate, that contracts in baseball are more of a, here's a big chunk for what you did, and we're going to hope you continue to do it. NFL is the other way around. It's okay, you played for very very little money. We're going to give you a contract. It's not guaranteed. You may only be here for two years or three years, but we're going to give you a chunk of cash in the millions guaranteed up front. And I actually think it would behoove NFL to switch to guaranteed contracts, keep them short, and reduce the guaranteed money in the beginning. And I think that would be better for everyone involved. What do you think? I agree. So we'll see what happens. I, you know, I, I, I'm really worried about a strike in baseball. I think a strike in baseball right now is a really, really bad idea. They, you know, yeah. it's just not a good time for it. Uh, they could fall behind. You know, they're already having some trouble with, you know, youngest generation viewers. And uh, I, I just, I think that'd be a really bad body blow and, and would really hurt baseball. Uh, we'll see what happens. Maybe they'll uh, maybe they'll come to their senses and uh, and realize things. But boy, the owners of these last couple of years not signing people to the end and trying to get uh, trying to get sweetheart deals. Um, boy, I think it's I think it's just building a lot of bad blood, and it's only going to get worse. So anyway, um, let's move on to uh, oh, just real quick, uh, Parky is getting released by the Bears. I don't think that's a shock to anybody, but uh, boy. What a rough year that guy had. I mean, oh, oh, even though it was a block on that very last kick against the Eagles, still, what a just, uh, it's just, heart, it's just a, a heartbreaking season to just screw your team over that many times in, in one year. It's like Mason Crosby, but ten times more painful because the team was good. So, All right. Fantasy baseball. Before we jump into the second baseman, just a quick note. Carlos Martinez has been shut down for Cardinals pitcher. Now, no one is really sure what their plan is for him this year. Is he a starter? Is he going back to a reliever? He was 
he was uber hyped and he was an early pitcher taken. I think it was last season, like third round or even early, maybe the second round. I don't think it was the third round that we had him taken. Um, I don't, I mean, what do you think about, it? I mean, like, what would you do if you were the Cardinals? Would you make, would you send him back to the bullpen? Say that again, but I'm sorry. I just didn't know if, I mean, if you guys were the owner, if you, if either one of you was the owner or the GM of the Cardinals, would you send Carlos Martinez back to the bullpen or would you try to have him be a starter again? I'd try to have him be a starter again. And just hope that, and hope that last year is kind of an aberration and he's, uh, mm-hmm. and he's going to be, yeah. Yeah. It, it, it'll be interesting to see. Uh, okay. So top 10 second baseman. And again, we use the ESPN list by AJ. What's his last name? McCormick or something. He, uh, mm-hmm. he does the rankings for the points leagues. So uh, JP, I mean, I know that you're kind of a newer fantasy baseball player, but who do you think he's got at number one? Um, he's got a number one. Well, I mean, Altuve or Baez would be my choices, but you can't, if you really want to go back to it, you do have Cano and the Mets there too. And, you know, Cano is definitely on his list. He's not, he's not at the top. He's got him dropped down a little bit, probably right. having to do with last season's shenanigans. Um, it is definitely Altuve at number one. Uh, Altuve, was a perennial top three pick for probably the last four years in baseball uh, dropped off last season. Didn't, it didn't have a very good year, at least in terms of a, of a, of a first round pick. Uh, Nate, do you think that Altuve bounces back to his old self this season? Yes. And then some. (laughs) Yeah. I'd, I'd love to, I'd love to have Altuve fall to me at like number eight or something this year. Um, Number two, they have Javier Baez, a potential MVP candidate last season. Now, is this – do we see Baez continue to ascent, or is it time for him to fall back to earth a little bit this season? You know, I think his uh, his biggest weakness is the strikeout. So if he can cut back on those, then he'll continue to move forward. He probably would be an absolutely critical component to the Cubs having a strong season. Do you think that would be an accurate? uh, Oh, yeah, absolutely. So last year, Baez had a pretty amazing year. Like I said, he was an MVP candidate. Uh, He's also six foot, which I thought was funny because he looks so short uh, when he gets up there. It just goes to show you how tall athletes are and how much I am uh, more jealous than ever of not being six foot. He uh, had a war of a 6.3, which is the wins above replacement. Uh, That's a a newer stat, but it's a big stat these days. Uh, He batted 290 with 34 dingers, 21 steals, and over 100 runs and RBIs. He does that again. Cubs have a good shot at at dominating in that division. I didn't realize his numbers were that good. 34 home runs? Wow. 34 dingers. The The guy had a phenomenal year. He's not projecting to do quite that well this year. Obviously, they always temper projections because that's, you know, if you're making predictions, you got to be careful. And they're, they're saying only 25 homers and 14 steals, which is still a phenomenal season, just nowhere near mm-hmm. he was. And I think it's a good point but, you've made about – I'm sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, and we know his, his defensive abilities as well are 
Very good. Sure. Put him anywhere on the infield in skill positions, and he'll do fine. So that that makes him invaluable without question. Uh, do I, I am concerned that he had 31 walks last year. That's mm-hmm. relying a lot. That's relying a lot on your bat, uh, batting average on balls put in play and, and things like that. But uh, no yep. doubt this guy has uber uber level talent, and we're expecting big things this year. Number three. Now this is a player that I love a lot because I picked him up the year he kind of busted out, and it was really fun to watch him play. And also because it's very uncommon to see a guy who doesn't hit for power be a fantasy stud, and that makes me like him even more. And that's Whit Merrifield. Now, they've got him number three. Do you think that's – is that too high? I mean, does does his lack of power catch up to him at some point, or, or are the steals enough to make up for it? That's a great question. I, boy, I mean, if you look at it, he did score a ton of points in our league too. So I don't know where he ranked as far as, you know, was he in the top five, top 10? Uh, I understand why they put him there, but I don't think he's that good. I mean, his biggest hampering is that he won't drive in a lot of runs being at the top of the lineup, but Here's his year last well, year. It was that great. lineup. <laughs> there isn't a lot of great hitters in that lineup either. So, yeah, that's a great, especially without having. Uh, they don't have what's his name anymore, right? They lost. Uh, Mustakas went to the Brewers, right? Yep. Or yeah, they really don't have a lot there. <laughs> no, they don't. Man, they don't have anything there. Uh, but he's he had a great year. Three hundred four batting average, twelve dingers, sixty ribbies, eighty eight runs. 45 steals. Steals were a premium last year. I don't Mm -hmm. think it will be as much of a premium this year. I think we saw a down year for stealing last year. I think players are going to rebound, especially Billy Hamilton. That's a guy that I really want this year. I think he bounces back with his new team, and I think he gets himself back up to a 300 on base percentage and gets himself, uh, you know, 50 steals. And I think there's a few other guys out there uh, going to put some steals on the board, but uh, 45 steals is fantastic. And, you know, he's 30, so that might start to drop off, but boy, if he can just keep those steals up in the, you know, near 30 uh, or 35 for one more year and club another 10 to 15 home runs, uh, great, a, a great addition to your team, uh, whether it be rotisserie or points league. Uh, I think you're looking at, at a nice little, a nice little year. Next on their list is Daniel Murphy. Oh, go ahead, JP. You know, here's a stat that I really like about him. He led the majors with 192 hits last year, too. Yeah, you can't discount that. That's huge. 192 hits. I mean, it, it, it's kind of surprising that there was less than 200 hits for the leader, but it's almost mm-hmm. 200. Yeah, that's – no, absolutely. The guy is – I think he's underrated enough that you're always going to get him at value because he just doesn't have the star power name, but great point. I think absolutely he's he's a, he's, he's he's underrated and he's, he's gonna he's gonna produce for you. So now we have a guy who didn't have a great year last year. Uh, now I think he was hurt for a, a good while, and that's why. And now he goes to the Rockies. Now you know Daniel Murphy is 33. He had his late career breakout with the Mets in that one year they went to the Super or the World Series. Is he going to explode at Coors Field? JP, do you think – could we see a resurgence of 
power. I mean, could this guy get back into the into the mid twenties for homers? Well, I tell you what, playing at Coors Field, anything is possible. Um, I think it's a great move to bring him to Coors Field because he might be able to get back there. You know, I mean, do you think that? Do you think the Rockies are going to be better with D- Daniel Murphy, or would they have been better off to keep DJ LeMahieu uh, from going to pinstripes? Well, that's that's a great debate right there to have on its own own self. <laughs> but um, you know, I God LeMahieu to the Yankees. The Yankees just keep getting stronger and stronger every time you turn your head. But uh, I do like Daniel Murphy to the Rocks. I, I do like that move. Yeah, I like his versatility, right? He can play first, second, or third. They can move him around yeah. with diamond. Obviously, he won't be playing third base very often, probably not first, but uh, he's definitely going to be their second baseman. He's going to be their starter. They signed him for a couple of years. Uh, I'm he's actually going to start. Let me correct you. He's actually going to be their starter at first base. Oh, my bad. I didn't know. Who's playing second base for the Rockies? Well, it looks like they're going to bring the kid up. Brendan Rogers. Really? Wow. Well, now, now that's not to say that Murphy isn't going to play a bunch of games at second because he will. But sure, he's, he is slated as as the starting first baseman right now. Wow. So so McMahon's going to be the is going to be the second baseman. That's going to be. Wow. That's boy. It makes you wonder where he'll get drafted. I mean, that's. Whew. I mean, the guy's young and he's got talent, so just gonna mm-hmm. see if he can get that if he can get that average up there. But you know, it's not like he hasn't had very many at bats in the pros, so uh, right. hard hard to say. Um, do you do you, where do you think Murphy gets drafted in, in a points league? Well, that's a good question. Yeah, I mean, they've got him ranked in the top. You know, like where did where did you have him four? Uh, so they have him number four. In second base. Yeah, so, I mean, that puts him right around the fifth round for me, this sixth round. Yeah, I mean, it's just, oh, it's so scary to take an old player that early because yeah. if, you can't, if you can't that bad year, uh, boy, it stings. <laughs> I, I agree, it is, but he's also uh, now at Coors Field and in a great lineup, so he could be a huge steal. As well, yeah. So I just, yeah. you know, how much do you like him? <laughs> how many how many times have we seen a player go to Coors Field or you know come up in the from the minors into Coors Field and he's just a fantasy darling because of what you're you know just because of the fact they've got that huge ballpark, going to get lots of extra hits falling in between the outfielders that are playing deep and you're going to get extra home runs from the altitude. Yeah, it's it, the the temptation for for Daniel Murphy this year in our league at least in our points league. I think it's going to be very strong. I think I think we're going to see a lot of a lot of desire. So, moving on to number five on the list, here's Nate's uh, favorite player uh, of the of of late, Ozzy Albies of the Atlanta Braves. Phenomenal season last year for how young he is. Twenty two years old. The guy batted two sixty, twenty four dingers, hundred runs, seventy two ribbies, fourteen steals. All of those numbers could go up this year. All of them could go up. They could all go down for a for a sophomore slump. But I don't really think that's – the talent seems too good, and he's got too many good hitters around him, including Acuna and Friedman, for that to really happen. So do you think that he 
um, ends up with more total fantasy points this year, Nate, or do you think he takes a step back at all? I think he's pretty much right about where he was. I don't think he makes a huge step forward or backward. I mean, he he just is a productive player, and I think he is who he is now. And uh, I, I think whatever we saw from him last year is what he'll give us again this year. Yeah, I, I don't I, see a whole lot of change. My biggest thought on him is that I think that the Braves as a whole overproduced last year and kind yeah. of had a match. And I could see uh, a bit of a drop back occur uh, just just in terms of becoming like more normal or just regressing to the mean. I the strikeouts were low, which is which is a great sign for a player like that. But I could see the homers dip down to like maybe just 220 and uh, maybe see the runs maybe drop down into the 90s. But yeah, but that wouldn't be a huge a huge drop back from last year. Uh, if he can, yeah, keep he did have one. He had like a stretch too, where he was really, really hot. And I think he actually had two stretches like that. So that always skews numbers a little bit when somebody just goes on a kind of a tear. So you know, I guess if I had, if I had to say make any choice, I would say he would take a little bit of a step back, probably. But I think he is who he is. No, I agree. I I, I think he's going to be around for a long time, and. Uh, I, I don't think he'll hurt anyone. Um, if you draft him, I don't think you're going to be overly disappointed unless you have to take him in like the third round in which you might be overplaying a bit. But, you know, uh, there's a lot of thin positions this year in baseball as opposed to previous years. And, you know, especially like in our league, everyone likes the uh, everyone likes the, the youth movement. So uh, definitely see him getting taken uh, at a strong point. Uh, next on the list, they have Gliber Torres of the Yankees. Question for me about this ranking is maybe this ranking was done bef- before they got LeMahieu, but I don't think it was. Where is this guy going to play? I mean, he's not going to play at shortstop. Uh, Gregorius is back, and I thought I think they have somebody else playing there for the time being. So. Tulo. Oh, right. Well, yeah, if Tulo makes it more than two weeks before he gets tired legs. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, does it, is Torres just a guy without a position? Kind of looks that way. I don't, you know, that's a great, it's a great point. I guess I hadn't really thought about it. Um, who are they playing at third? Are they playing Andahar at third then? Boy, you know, that would be my guess, but I, I don't know. The Yankees are a little bit of an, yeah. of a, a knob team. Um, well, I, I I think they just have a lot of they're again, they're kind of similar to the Dodgers in that they do have a ton of depth. Um, you know, and maybe you, just you, you've got Yeah, I think you just got a great rotation. You know, I don't know what handed a lot of those guys are. You know, I don't know if Torres is a switch hitter or a, you know, I just have no idea. Um, so, you know, the, I'm sure there's a combination there of, you know, some lefties, some righties and some switchies. So, you know, depending on the pitcher, they've got some depth. And like you said, Tulo's going to have heavy legs by week two, most likely. So, you know, that gives him 50, 60 games at short before Gregorius comes back, probably. Um, so, yeah, knows, you, know, you know, I think he's a nice trade piece as well. You know, a mid-season trade piece. I mean, if you're, if Gregorius comes back and he's healthy and, 
you know, and you're making a push for the playoffs, I mean, that's a good guy to be able to throw to a San Diego, you know, or, you know, some team that has a prospect they can, you know, throw back to you. Or not a prospect, a starting guy, you know, that can make an impact right away. When he's in a trade piece, he could be an excellent fantasy trade piece. You draft him. He has his starts in the in the beginning uh, when Tulo gets yep. you know tired and uh, replacing uh, Lemayhew and and then you trade him in fantasy in week uh, you know seven or eight get yourself a, a, a lower end starter uh, for pitching and mm-hmm. you, you, you pick the pocket of somebody who doesn't pay enough attention to realize he's not going to be a full time starter. Now mm-hmm. that's that's my opinion um, and he did hit twenty four home runs last year, batted two seventy. A uh, couple of steals, so he's not overpowering. 24 uh, home runs is a good number, although we're getting back into that area of baseball where home runs are, are no longer a premium. They seem to be everywhere you look. This is what's kind of surprising. The New York Yankees official website lists him as the starter at second base and LeMahieu as the backup. Now, that was an interesting kind of a setup. They also show Voight as the first baseman and bird as the backup. So mm. I, I don't know what we you know. third base is definitely shows Andahar as the starter. Boy, this, this leads to some questions. And I guess I would, one thing I would be looking at is can LeMahieu or Torres play the outfield in case Hicks or Gardner go down or get hurt? You know, do they have yeah. that kind sure. of, um, uh, not lean, um, Dexterity, I guess. Can they play in that many positions? So um, we're going to burn through the rest of these here. We're down to 10 minutes. Uh, so <laughs> this is the next one. This one kind of shocked me. Travis Shaw is next on the list. Hmm. Surprise you at all? I, uh, yes and no. I mean, I didn't even know he qualified it at second. I thought he was a third baseman. But uh, right. he might, been, might depend on your. Yeah. But he's been fantastic. I mean, last two years, he's been great. So, Just yeah, that, I, mean, I don't see any issue with it. He's definitely a points league player. He's not a good rotisserie guy. I mean, he doesn't steal. Uh, his batting average yeah. is pretty bad, you know, 240s, 250s. But he does hit 30 homers. And this is kind of that guy who's a, he's a, definitely a late bloomer. This is the guy that was uh, with Toronto all those years, correct? Or is that a different guy? Yeah. Yeah, so he never uh, no. No, he he was with Toronto, yes. Um yeah, he was but, like, you know, the more I the more you read this list and the more I look down it, um it is a second base is kind of a weird interesting position this year. There really isn't any top end, you know, I mean obviously Altuve, but and and Baez are probably, you know, in my opinion the one two there, but man, it really there's a lot of question marks kind of after that. You've got kind of that grouping of old guys in there. You've got like a, you know, like a Daniel Murphy, uh, a Robinson Cano, a Brian Dozier, a D. Gordon, uh, you know, those types of players, a LeMahieu, a Villar, you know, those guys, a Shoup, uh, just tons of players there that, that could be good, you know, but could be terrible. Uh, right. You've got a bunch of young guys. Uh, you've got a Moncada, um, You've got Odor, you have Albies, um, you know, and then you've also got some weird kind of like Scooter Jeanette, like 
crazy season last year, just kind of out of nowhere. So was that right. that the anomaly, or is you know is that what he is now? You know, so I, there's just boy, what an interesting position in fantasy this year. You know what? Um, my bad. I'm confused. I confused his name with Travis Snyder. That was the guy that played for Toronto and had kind of had a late breakout. Oh, this Travis Shaw has only played for Boston and Milwaukee. So Boston, uh, I, that's right. I apologize. Boston, I was thinking yep. of players. Snyder was the one that was always unfulfilled promise and always showed flashes that you thought he was going to be good. Um, he did play 39 games at second base last year. So most leagues are like ours. It's 30 games last year to position to qualify. So should well, be good. Good multiple position eligibility. That's probably why he's ranked where he is. Yep. Yep. I'm sure that's a big part of it. Um, jumping next to Robinson Cano. We've already talked about Cano a little bit. Uh, so we probably don't need to, to, to delve too deeply into this, but uh, you know, can he bounce back? Can he put his uh, issues behind him and, and, and bounce back? I mean, guy only had 10 home runs last year, only had 300 at bats. So, you know, We'll see what's coming. Uh, I, I, the change of scenery could be just what he needed. And, uh, boy, oldie but goodie. I mean, 36 years old, do you, do you take the plunge on a guy uh, that old? Maybe maybe you punt the second base position to the double-digit rounds and stock up on pitching and outfield. And you, you look at these older guys as, uh, you know, you, think you pick him and you pick up uh, some other, you know, a shoop or, or, or some of the other guys you were mentioning. And, and and do a uh, do a little bit of a carousel. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's going to be interesting because he has really been a very durable player, and also you know he gets a ton of at bats. I mean, until last year, uh, that's something that I have seen in fantasy, and and I think you'll back me up on this. Is over the last four years or so. I think our total points have ticked down quite a bit. You know, I think 400 points a week wasn't that far-fetched. You know, half the teams usually did it, you know. Um, And now 400 points is, it's more like maybe two or three, maybe four teams will do it in a week. And I think a lot of that is because players aren't getting the at-bats that they used to get. You know, they they want to keep their guys healthy. Well, Robinson Cano is one of those guys that could provide a ton of value to somebody because of that. If he's able to come out and play 160 games and, you know, bat, you know, three or four in that lineup, 700 at-bats, you know, there isn't a lot of guys that get that. And, you know, every at-bat is a .25 point in our league. So um, I, I think that, that he's a great value. I really do, based on his history. Now, yeah, he's 36. There's a lot of question marks. Uh, he's on a new team. Uh, all those things are, are certainly, uh, you know, quantifiers. But uh, we'll see. I think he's a good value. You know, um, you, you brought up a lot of really good points, and you're absolutely right about the league in terms of points have gone down. I think that part of it is what you're talking about with the trying to keep guys fresh and healthy, which is, you know, a better long-term plan for your squad. But I think the other thing that is going on is that pitchers are being removed earlier in games. They're more reliance on bullpens, more reliance on the six, seven, eight, nine inning guys. And these guys are only getting to the fifth inning or maybe the sixth. And because of that, 
they're not there long enough for their team to have scored the runs to put them in front, or if they gave up a, a three-run blast in maybe the third inning, maybe their team has only scored one or two runs, you know, through the fifth inning. And then, you know, we've seen a lot of six, seven, eight, nine-inning in, runs happen a lot more often these days. And I think that's a big cause of the drop is that in our league, at least, you know, you get 10 points for a win. And if you do wins, a, you know, a week, yeah, that, that's only 20 points. But 20 points is the difference between a three Over a long and... season. Sure. Makes a big yeah. difference, and, yeah. Well, and, J, JP actually made a really good point earlier, you know, saying, you know, the leading hit, the hits leader last year, 192 hits. I would be surprised if that happens very often where they're the lead, the, the leading hitter has under 200 hits. I mean, it used to be guys, there was multiple guys getting 200 hits. And again, that is just stemming from playing time. And I think it's that, you know, baseball is kind of a copycat league as most, you know, most of them are, you know, you see a team like the Dodgers and the Yankees are having a ton of success because they have tons of depth and they're able to rest guys and they're, you know, and that's worked out well for them. You know, it hasn't translated well to fantasy, unfortunately. Right. Right. And of course, you know, all those years that Ichiro was, a, all those years that Ichiro was a starter, uh, man, he got 200 hits almost by himself every season. So, Holy smokes. Uh, we're down to two minutes. <laughs> we're down to less than that. But Ichiro did hit 200. Ichiro got 200 or more hits from 2001 all the way to 2010. So stick that in your pipe and smoke it. Wait, not if you have to take a drug test, but if you don't have to, go ahead and smoke it. (laughs) Um, I'm pretty sure Kirby Puckett did that for a while, too. (laughs) Hey, he's got glaucoma, or he has that. All right, we're down to a minute. The last two players on the list were Scooter Jennett and Yohan Makata. Uh, If you don't know who they are, then you're going to have a rough draft. If you don't know who they are, look them up. Make sure you know all these guys. JP, any uh, party notes for our listeners for this week? Uh, no, just want to um, thank everybody for listening. We did have two things occur in college basketball this week. Zion Williamson blowing out his sneaker, his Nike sneaker. And, of course, the tragic uh, Jim Beheim uh, was trying to maneuver around a car and struck someone fatally. He is not implicated in any sort of um, anything with that accident. It was a complete just accident. So two things on a college basketball. Craziness, craziness. Uh, Nate, yeah. 20 seconds. Anything to add? No, man. Great show, guys. Thanks, everybody, for listening. All right. Make sure to check out our YouTube videos, and everyone have a fantastic weekend. Offensive out. TIAA supports those who are driven by purpose, helping you live your definition of success. Whether you have $500 or $5 million, investing, advice, banking, retirement. Start today at TIAA.org. Hi, it's Jamie, progressive number one, number two employee. Leave a message at the... Hey, Jamie, it's me, Jamie. This is your daily pep talk. I know it's been rough going ever since people found out about your acapella group, Mad Harmony, but you will bounce back. I mean, you're the guy always helping people find coverage options with the Name Your Price tool. It should be you giving me the pep talk. Now get out there, hit that high note, and take Mad Harmony all the way to nationals this year! Sorry, this is pitchy. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.